facts. We like to think they can be taken for granted, but human feelings always seem to get in the way. Even in 1923, when J. Gresham Machen wrote Christianity and Liberalism, liberal theologians struggled to reconcile the history presented by scripture with their experience of that history as 20th century men and women. Although we like to think of ourselves as scientific and objective, we nevertheless remain subjectively biased, twisting beliefs like the resurrection or ascension of Christ to conform to more comfortable man-made doctrines. If anything, the 100 years since Machen wrote this book have shown us, when the facts don't align with our feelings, we will find a way to reinvent them. Politics, technology, identity, power, science, everything seems to be changing. So why not faith? This is Christianity and Liberalism, a podcast based on the book by J. Gresham Machen. In this show, we'll be discussing a modern-day church in crisis and engaging with Machen's classic text to see what lessons we can learn and apply 100 years later. The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is gone and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God we will stand We bring the antithesis, the lamb's dripping wrist This is still the only answer for man's wickedness The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is gone and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God we will stand CNL, with Machen we will tell Faith in Christ still the only way to be redeemed from hell Since the first century AD, the church has been defined by her doctrines and by how she debates those doctrines. But in J. Gresham Machen's day, an insidious idea was taking hold in the church. Maybe these doctrines weren't worth debating at all. Before long, belief in the resurrection or in the reality of hell were openly denied from pulpits of Christian churches. That idea is still at work in the church today and the blurring of fact and fiction is never more dangerous than when we talk about Jesus Christ. If the facts of his incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension are questionable at best, who can we trust? My guest today is Dr. Michael Horton. Michael is the J. Gresham Machen Professor of Systematic Theology and Apologetics at Westminster Seminary, California, the host of White Horse Inn, and the author of several noted works of Christian doctrine. We started our conversation where we usually do, by asking Mike when he first learned about Christianity and liberalism. Yeah, uh, I was in high school and um, discovered it and then read it again in seminary. And I, I just uh, was amazed by uh, this book. And the reason is I didn't grow up in, in Protestant liberalism. Uh, I grew up in something closer to fundamentalism. I grew up in a, in a broadly evangelical background. Uh, but what was striking to me was how relevant it was to the way I grew up. Hmm. So I had, uh, you know, people, when I was getting interested in theology and just uh, devouring, you know, Romans started the fire, hmm. and then I just kept, it kept spreading from there and started reading people who wrote about Romans and a lot of, you know, great moments in 
the history of the church, Reformation, have mm-hmm. happened around it. And uh, I started reading them and, you know, Luther and Calvin and many others. And uh, that's when I stumbled on on Machen. And I thought, wow, this is really amazing. People were telling me, oh, don't get too deep into doctrine. Hmm. Uh, you know, it, doctrine divides. Uh, it's it's the experience of being born again that really unites. And really the, the question is, are are you you know are you walking with the Lord and is, uh, you know I don't want to know about Jesus. They said I want to know Jesus. Hmm. And, you know my my first thought was, uh, who's Jesus? <laughs> and <laughs> how do we know? How do we know him? Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to know him? Theology means the study of God. Hmm. So to know God. That's what this study is, to know God. That's what doctrine is for. And so, yes, if you just focus on the doctrine as a dead end, that doesn't get you anywhere. I think of doctrine uh, as landing lights on an airstrip. They point you in the right direction, so you land on Christ. You don't land on the lights. We don't, uh, our faith is not in doctrines. Our faith is in Christ. But again, who's Christ? And what does having a personal relationship with him mean, and how can we have it? Mm-hmm. Well, you're now you're into like three different major doctrines uh, of Christian theology. So mm-hmm. you can't avoid it. If you want to know God, you have to be interested in doctrine. And that doctrinal indifference, as Machen calls it, uh, that doctrinal indifference he saw in liberal churches— I saw in the broader evangelical movement. Book blurbs aren't always very interesting, but Mike's endorsement for the 100th anniversary edition of Christianity and Liberalism caught my eye. I had to ask him what he meant. In your blurb for this new edition, you said that Christianity and Liberalism could have been written last Thursday. (laughs) What is it about the present situation in the church that makes you think of the book that way? Mm. You know, it's really interesting. My my, I, I have friends who've gone to Harvard, and they had to take, they had to read Christianity and liberalism at Harvard. Wow! In their uh, American history class, because it's so significant. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, I I think we're we're awash today in a kind of vague spirituality. Um, people sometimes call it spiritual, not religious. Hmm. Um, I don't, I don't want to be tied down to any authority. I want to kind of do it myself. And Machen keeps bringing you back to Christianity as a very different sort of religion than any other religion. It's a Mm -hmm. historical religion. Mm -hmm. It's based on facts. He says that over and over again. So then the question is, what are the facts? And this isn't just any random kind of fact. I love it when he says, you know, I, I've heard your exhortations and your your uh, moral inspiration, but they will not help me. If something has been done to save me, just tell me the facts. Hmm. I think for me that summarizes the whole book, and it summarizes Machen's career, his, hmm. his calling in life. 
his passion. Hmm. Uh, it's not just knowledge. It's the, the, the knowledge of rescue, hmm. knowing who's rescued you, how he's rescued, knowing that there is a rescue. And you can't just say, well, I feel that, well, this happened to me. Well, this is my experience. My experience trumps your doctrine. You can't, you can't say that. You have to look at the facts. What, is the, what, what are those facts grounded in? What is the evidence for those facts? And embrace them wherever they lead. And he was willing to do that. There's something about Machen that's really remarkable. He was really willing to follow the truth wherever he discovered it. And sometimes that led him to question the Christian faith. Hmm. And I think that that was essential, actually, for him to go through that period of questioning the very doctrines that he would later defend because he knew what he was defending it against. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it makes me think of mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis describes his method this way. It is more like a hall out of which doors open into several rooms. If I can bring anyone into the hall, I shall have done what I attempted. But it is in the rooms, not in the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. The hall is a place to wait in, not a place to live in. How would you compare this to Machen's Christianity and liberalism? Mm -hmm. Is that a helpful yeah. analogy? I've used it. Yeah, I think it's a really helpful analogy. Um, because, you, you know, the, we, we're Catholic, first of all. Uh, that means that we believe in the Trinity. We believe in the two natures of Christ in one person, uh, Chalcedon, Nicaea. You know, the, we are, we are, are not uh, renegade uh, folks. The liberals are, uh, and cults and sects. In fact, uh, liberalism is a sect. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, you know, a, a, a Christian cult. It left the Christian faith. So we're Catholic. That's a pretty big hallway. We're evangelical, meaning that we embrace the reformation of the Catholic Church that happened in the 16th century, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, scripture alone as our norm for faith and life. Uh, we we are evangelical, but we're also reformed, and so you could say maybe the house is Catholic, the hallway is evangelical, and the rooms hmm. uh, we have one called Reformed. That's why I don't call it the Reformed faith; I call it the Christian faith. Hmm. Reformed is I I believe it is the best label for describing the best way of saying what we as Catholics and e Catholic evangelicals want to say. But it, it, it's, uh, it's not the whole—we forget sometimes that there are other people in other rooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and there are brothers and sisters. Yeah. And, and I think Machen was great at—I mean, there, there were Methodists and Baptists and Lutherans and Anglicans— Episcopalians, who were absolutely on Machen's side, stood squarely with Machen. What he was talking about was a division between people who believed the Christian faith and people who doubted or denied the Christian faith. And uh, 
you know, how do you get a paycheck for denying the Christian faith as a minister? How do you get a paycheck from the church for denying everything that it was founded to teach? Hmm. That, I think, really bothered Machen and people who, who followed him. I, I know people from all those traditions I've just mentioned who have devoured Machen's critique with great profit because they see it in their own denominations. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like this book has really um, received broad appeal yeah. crossing denominations, and it's because it focuses on the very core of what we mean by being a Catholic evangelical. Yeah, it even even non-Christians. In his own day, he had, uh, he had some of the leading uh, social commentators. Uh, today, we would, you know, say the talking heads of CNN and and uh, uh, the other networks, and he had them saying he he won the argument. One of my favorite writers uh, is Harold Bloom, the late Harold Bloom, one of the greatest American um, literary critics. Uh, and he wrote a book about twenty years ago uh, called "The American Religion," hmm. um, and he he argued that that the the American religion is Gnosticism, and he describes himself described himself as a Jewish Gnostic. <laughs> so he said, "I'm not decrying it. You need to know I'm not. I'm I'm actually quite happy that America is Gnostic." But but he said that's the religion. Um, everything it happens within ecstasy within, mm. not an authority outside of you telling you how you are reconciled to God, mm. and. What's interesting is he goes through all, you know, the the revivals and everything and how America has been shaped by this, whether you're Mormon or Baptist or Presbyterian or Lutheran or whatever, you, you're basically a Gnostic and uh, maybe exaggerating a bit. But what's interesting is he said uh, there are two exceptions to this story. One is not an American, Karl Barth, and he says the other is the formidable New Testament scholar, J. Gresham Machen. Hmm. He has a, a couple of paragraphs on Machen where he says he's not a fundamentalist, uh, doesn't deserve to be ranked with those fascists, he calls them. <laughs> he said uh, he was a man who was gripped by the life of the mind and convinced uh, of, of the truth that his argument supported. And he says... Uh, th there is absolutely no question that when it comes to the debate that Christianity and liberalism was engaged in, Machen clearly won the victory hmm. intellectually. Hmm. Now, what does it say about a man who's gripped by the life of the mind, who actually, when he talks about doctrine, spends most of this chapter talking about Jesus? What does that tell us about the man Machen? That's see, that's the whole point of doctrine. You're, the, the the whole point is to talk about Jesus, mm. uh, so that people will enter into a personal relationship with Him. Mm. Uh, then you start explaining, well, what what is that, and what does it mean? Well, union with Christ by the Holy Spirit, who applies redemption, purchased by Christ on the cross crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. I just 
already mentioned, you know, uh, half a dozen doctrines. Yeah, yeah. So it, the point isn't the doctrine itself. The, the point of the doctrine is to lead us to the triune God who is revealed to us, who has come to us in our flesh in Jesus Christ. And that is, if that, if those landing lights are there, we will land on Jesus and not out in the fields. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about landing on Jesus, the only way that we know about Jesus is through the scriptures. Right. And, and how do we, how do we trust the scriptures? This is what I, I mean, he, he didn't flinch. He's how, how do we trust, how, how can we trust? Well, the resurrection of Jesus on the third day is not something that we just pulled out of a hat. Uh, it happened in history. It's a fact mm-hmm. of history, and he defended it as a fact of history. He didn't just say, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. He defended it. He argued it mm-hmm. and made that case. So that if a liberal denies a fundamental fact of, of like the resurrection, they're not denying merely a dogma of the church. They're denying a fact of history. Hmm. They are basically, you know, saying, I can, I can decide for myself what the facts are. And you can't do that in any, any other field. Imagine walking into a history class and telling your teacher, uh, I don't think Alexander the Great actually existed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think Napoleon uh, conquered Europe. I think these things are not, for me, they're not meaningful. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't find these dogmas meaningful to me personally. Well, who cares? They happened. <laughs> you know, they happened whether yeah. you believe them or not. They happened whether you feel them or not. Yeah. And now I've got an anchor outside of me, something objective. Mm-hmm. Doesn't depend on my believing it or my feeling it. Right, right. You know, Voss, uh, Machen's colleague at Princeton, says, it is not scripture plus Christ but Christ in Scripture, and mm-hmm. Scripture in its center, Christ. It's great. I just love that because yeah. it shows the interconnection. That's really what Machen's trying to do, mm-hmm. is show that Jesus is rooted in doctrine mm-hmm. or rooted in the text itself and that objective reality, which he con- consistently says is an event, yep. a historical event, yep. and something that we can um, objectively discern. Yeah, we don't worship the Bible if... If a, if a, a preacher held up a Bible and expected me to bow down to it, that was, we would all say that's idolatry. Mm-hmm, but exactly. if Jesus walked in the room, that's a different story. Yeah. And, but it's Scripture that leads us to Jesus. Outside of his defense of Christian orthodoxy, Machen was probably most passionate about the philosophy of education. And in his book, he explains his concern for a culture and education system that was antagonistic to the truth. Not just to the gospel, but to any truth stated absolutely. As a theologian and professor, Mike shares similar concerns. I asked him if he recognizes that spirit at work in education today. That's why I said this book could have been written last Thursday. Um, If anything, everything Machen describes is more intense. Than it was then. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you are, you, you know, he was still living in a semi-Christian culture, a kind of broad liberal American Protestant mm-hmm. empire. Um, today, it, it, there's no memory of that. I mean, it's just vanishing. It's washing out 
to see completely. And so you, if you, if, if, if you say, I have found Jesus meaningful in my life, people will say, that's good for you. That's good. That's wonderful. I'm glad that you, you have a thing that has given you peace. But if you say, it's true, which means that it's true for you, it's true for everyone, hmm. well, that means they have to face it. They don't want to do that. They get angry. Hmm. How dare you say that your religion, your experience is superior to mine or anyone else's? We have to be really clear with people. We're not saying we're right. We're saying that's right over there, and here's why. Hmm. We're not saying we know. We're saying here is the object of what we know, and here is why we believe it's true. Hmm. We're pointing outside of ourselves. The whole point of the Christian faith is to point outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Mm -hmm. That is what we need to hold out to people, I think, not to focus on uh, how right I am and how wrong you are, but how beautiful Jesus is. This apologetic display doesn't need to get ugly. The antidote, Machen suggests, is in our posture toward the truth, in our integrity. Here's a clip from the audiobook. Christianity is based, then, upon an account of something that happened, and the Christian worker is primarily a witness. But if so, it is rather important that the Christian worker should tell the truth. When a man takes his seat upon the witness stand, it makes little difference what the cut of his coat is, or whether his sentences are nicely turned. The important thing is that he tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If we are to be truly Christians, then, it does make a vast difference what our teachings are. And it is by no means aside from the point to set forth the teachings of Christianity in contrast with the teachings of the chief modern rival of Christianity. I asked Mike how he sees this objectivity toward the truth shaping healthy Christian scholarship. There's always a danger, I think, even in our circles of... Uh, of um, catering to the academy. Um, we're not anti-intellectual. We're not anti-academy. Um, you know, we're uh, here at Westminster faculty. We're members of, of academic associations that are not reformed or even have many non-Christians in them. Um, so you have to be civil. And, you, and here's the thing. A person, a person who is, is convinced by the facts, not by their own heart or by their own experience or what have you, but they're convinced by the facts that are available to anyone and everyone for inspection. That person is not going to be cramming it down your throat. That person is not going to be mean about it. It's, it's, when, people, it's when people have nothing to ground their faith on, but their own faith and experience and emotion, that's when they become emotional <laughs> about it and say, and you're attacking me personally. You're yes. attacking my... We're saying when we're talking to non-Christians, not you're attacking me, but you're attacking the evidence. 
then let's look at the evidence. In other words, it turns the temperature down. It takes the focus off of you're attacking me, I'm attacking mm -hmm. you, I'm taking this personally. Mm -hmm. No, let's talk about the facts that are outside of both of us. Mm -hmm. I think that will really help in our conversations with people, even in our colleagues in the academy, uh, who think sometimes, you know, we're narrow, we're, we're, uh, we're close-minded, we're not willing to look at other positions and so forth. No, no. I mean, we're, we're completely open to talking about different positions. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about you or me. Let's talk about the claims. Yeah. And keep putting it back on the claims because when we do, the temperature comes down and we go back to the facts that are available to both of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a depersonalized approach to just evidence in a text that you hope turns into a personal relationship with Christ. But you can't, you can't ram that down someone's throat. You trust mm -hmm. in the sovereignty of God. The That's your relationship. They'll say, that's your relationship. How can you... You can't, you can't just, and we know as parents, we, boy, you know, we can't, we can't uh, m make them have a personal relationship. We can't pass on our personal relationship with Christ right. to them. We can't pass on our regeneration right. to our kids. Uh, that has to be the work of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's exactly the same here. And once we know that, what a relief. Right. I don't have to save this person. I don't have to convince this person. I don't have to. All I have to do is present the facts. Mm -hmm. One of the recurring themes of Christianity and liberalism is the importance of defining our terms. As we began to talk about Machen's chapter on doctrine, I read Machen's definition of doctrine and asked Mike if he could help us understand what Machen is getting at. Here's Machen himself. The narration of facts is history. The narration of facts with the meaning of the facts is doctrine. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. That is history. He loved me and gave himself for me. That is doctrine. Such was the Christianity of the primitive church. Think of, think of the way Paul says he... Jesus was crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. Okay, so crucified and raised. A very short, very brief narration. Hmm. Uh, but if you just tell me he was crucified and raised, how different is that from saying Alexander conquered most of Asia? Mm -hmm. uh, what does it mean for me? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, it's a fact. I believe it, but... So what? Well, he was crucified for our sins. Now, that's the doctrine. Mm -hmm. And he was raised for our justification. So the, the, you know, the drama of this narrative leads to the doctrine, what it means for me. When people say, I don't feel like doctrine really connects with me, um, I'd rather have an experience with Jesus than understand more theology about Jesus. When people, when people say that, they don't realize it's actually the doctrine that connects Jesus to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the doctrine that tells you, so what? 
yeah. answers the question, so what? He died, so what? For my sins. Hmm. He died, or he was raised. Well, what does that mean? For my justification. Hmm. Now, it's not just a ripping good yarn. It's actually something that happened, a true fact, for me. Mm-hmm. For me. And the doctrine is what tells us how, uh, you know, it means for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think some people think it may be a bit individualistic to speak of personal pronouns, singular personal pronouns like me or I, when thinking about how Scripture relates to them. But we see it clearly in Galatians 2.20, Paul does that. And that's, I think, important for us to remember that it can't just be this historical reality that has affected some people out there, as Machen would say, some Galileans in the first century. No, it has to mean something, actually, for me. It does. It does. I, I did uh, um, uh, evangelistic work uh, when I was living in Oxford uh, for uh, the college unions, the Christian mm-hmm. unions. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember uh, particularly a conversation with, with uh, two classics students. And they knew Tacitus. They knew you know, a lot of the – so I, I went right to those quotes that you use. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, to go back and anchor it in history, mm-hmm. show that it was in history. By the time I was finished, uh, they, they looked at, at each other and said, we've never heard Christianity explained in this way. We thought religion generally was about whatever you want to believe that helps you get through the day. Mm-hmm. This is completely different. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, if 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 that's true, if if the the story is true, the narrative, then the doctrines are true. And if the doctrines are true, you you have you know what what is your reasonable response? Mm-hmm. But repentance and faith. Mm-hmm. And no, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that. Uh, had a long conversation with uh, actually it was, a, it was a debate at a at a conference called Renaissance Weekend and uh, with Bill Nye the Science Guy. Oh yeah. And um, same thing. We went through. He said religion is all about uh, basically hucksterism and cranks and things that people say happened that, that have been proved false and so forth. I said I totally agree. I think that that is what religion mo- for the most part. You'd have to go religion by religion to make that. But yeah, I, I think generally. Now, can I talk about Christianity and his, the <laughs> resurrection of Jesus from the dead? And I went through evidence, and I could see people kind of looking and nodding and and or looking puzzled or what have you. He was relentless. And at the end, I said, I, I said, Bill, I said, uh, can I follow up with you on footnotes? give you footnotes to what I've been talking about? And he said, no. And I said, then just remember that you're, you're leaving this conversation saying no to a scientific historical fact hmm. without looking at the evidence hmm. because your heart doesn't want to believe it's true. Hmm. And that, that, you know, if we, if, what it shows is you can have you can have people, you know, saying I can't refute that it happened. I can't refute that it was a historical event, uh, though he wouldn't have gone that far. 
but uh, those classic students would. I can't, can't refute that. I can even say it probably happened, more than likely. I'm not sure about the doctrine, and even if the doctrine is true, I'm not going to surrender my heart to the Lord. Yeah. And that's, that's what it comes down to. But even if people realize that it's really not uh, a, a, an intellectual problem, but that the, 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 that their heart is cold toward it, that mm. already is progress, and hopefully someone else will come along mm. who will be able to uh, help them forward. Yeah. as the Holy Spirit works on their heart. I bet he didn't like that. He didn't. No, he did. <laughs> he he did, and I I didn't know why he was he was so uh, so miffed by it because we were actually talk- I think what happens is people are so used to re- religion. Being in the realm of fuzzy things and Christmas and mm. teddy bears and blankies, <laughs> that they that people of a scientific rational bent become angry when Christianity is put in the same category as scientific and historical facts. Mm. It's moving Christianity from that category to this category. Yeah. That really disturbs people. Oh yeah, because yeah. then they have to then they have to actually deal with it. Right. Yeah. I remember meeting a guy on a flight from London to LA, coming back when I was doing PhD studies there, and he asked me what I what I was doing in England. And I told him studying theology, New Testament, doing a PhD, and he said I didn't know that you could get a PhD in fairy tales. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a great line to pick up on. I mean, he yeah. just started a great conversation totally. there. Totally. Sure. That was a good one. Throughout this chapter on doctrine, Machen returns to these texts the church calls creeds and confessions. I asked Mike to help us understand what a creed is and why Machen believes they're so important. It goes back to the old rule of faith. Um, you, can, you can go uh, all the way back, really, to 1 Corinthians 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Paul clearly lays out, I, I am passing, I am passing on to you, a tradition that was passed on to me. Mm-hmm. So the language already is tradition. Yeah, there is a, a tradition here uh, that I received. So it was very early. It was before Paul mm. had to be if he received it from the brothers in Jerusalem. Well, what was that? That Jesus was crucified, buried according to the scriptures, Mm -hmm. and rose again on the third day and appeared to many people and so forth. Mm -hmm. So there's already a nascent creed there. You could probably say maybe the beginning of Romans uh, is kind of a Romans 1, 1 through 4 is a nascent creed. You have all these, these, uh, whether they're hymns or not, uh, you would know better than I, you, you have these formulas. Mm-hmm. Paul talks to Timothy about the pattern of sound doctrine, not just sound doctrine. There's a pattern. There's a way of saying things that's right. Mm. That's called orthodoxy, mm. um, right beliefs. And so it's not just sound doctrine as an abstract thing. It's here. This summarizes what sound doctrine is. And we don't believe the creeds because they're an independent 
authority of tradition, that Scripture and tradition are equal. We've, we believe we embrace the creeds because they are a faithful and truthful summary of what the Bible mm-hmm. teaches. Mm-hmm. And that's true of our confessions and catechisms, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, they have no independent canonical authority. Right. Uh, but they have the true. They have the authority of the Bible mm-hmm. because they summarize what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, when we think about the liberal project that Machen was against, these people who want to have a simple, non-doctrinal religion, as he puts it, or an undogmatic religion, even with a modern hostility to doctrine, and these guys are crying out, according to Machen, they're crying out that Christianity is a life, not a doctrine. How What's often do the, we hear that? Yeah, we, we hear that today. What's the appeal? Mm-hmm. Like, how is that attractive, and is it even possible? Well, it's, it certainly isn't attractive to me. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, one of those people Friedrich Schleiermacher called uh, a, a religious genius. I'm not, a, I, I'm not a spiritual type, so I would not be spiritual but not religious. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be religious and I wouldn't be spiritual. I just walk out on the whole thing. Hmm. And that's what Paul says, right? If Christ is not raised, let's eat, eat drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Mm-hmm. Um, we are of all people the most to be pitied. We've believed a lie. He doesn't say, well, haven't you lived a better life? Uh, families that pray together, stay together. Uh, haven't, hasn't it been therapeutic? Hasn't it had a a positive role in helping you love other people and deal with stress and anxiety. And no, Christianity causes me stress and anxiety. <laughs> Being a Christian <laughs> is a tough life, hmm. especially in a culture like ours. Hmm. We're swimming against the stream. No, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be a Christian because of life. Um, I, I, I would only be a Christian, I am, am only a Christian, because I believe it's true. And because it's true, and this was Machen's emphasis, because it's true, it gives us life. Because it's true, mm-hmm. it is n- n- not just a body of doctrine, but a way of life that changes the way we see everything. It's sort of C.S. Lewis's comment. I, be, I believe in Christ for the same reason I believe in the sun, not just because I see it, but by its light, I see everything else. Mm-hmm. And Machen certainly saw things that way. Mm-hmm. Until, you, until you are convinced, first of all, it is true, you'll never experience it. Mm-hmm. Your, your experience will always ebb and flow. And You'll be interested in Jesus today and uh, Bhagwan Rajneesh tomorrow. It, it's not our feelings. It's not our, you know, I'm looking for this trip right now. I need this in my life. First of all, it has to be true. And then you know you have to, you need it in your life. Hmm. Hmm. Now, when we think about the liberal church or liberals in general having this modern disdain, for ancient doctrine. Um, if we were to be a bit self-critical, would you say that 
perhaps some in the church who have prized doctrine have kind of uh, given some weight to that criticism. Absolutely. You know, um, think of the, the immaturity of the Corinthians, and yet Paul tells them, you know, by now you ought to be teachers. By now you ought to be, uh, I mean, look at how much, how, how much, uh, you know, practically seminary education I gave you. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we've, we've done a lot for you here, guys, mm-hmm. and your church is a complete mess. Immorality rampant. You're living just like the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, of, of course, it's totally, totally uh, possible for that to happen. But what does Paul do? Paul begins the letter by, by first of all, calling them a, a, a holy, sanctified congregation of Christ. That's what they are objectively. Mm-hmm. Again, there's the doctrine. It's objectively true. And then he, he repeats to them the basic center of his message, Christ and him crucified, mm-hmm. over and over first two chapters, just over and over, Christ and him crucified. Some people may have said, well, Paul, that message of nothing but Christ and him crucified, that sort of one-note Charlie thing that you do, that's probably why everybody's in a mess. Hmm. You're not showing them how to live a godly life. Well, Paul does go on, of course, to tell them how to have a godly... But it's typical, not just for Paul, but for for the... the uh, uh, New Testament writers to ground mm-hmm. the call to repentance and faith in these facts of history with the doctrines that actually liberate them for for that. Here's who you are in Christ. Exactly. Why would you be living like this yep. uh, as if this hadn't happened to you, as if you had not been united to Christ, and as if Christ hadn't been crucified for your sins and raised for your justification. Yeah, yeah. You're living as if it isn't true. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's an important point to make, especially when you think about encouraging someone toward obedience. He consistently roots it in the gospel facts. Yeah. And that's what's going to ultimately galvanize the heart to live a life of gratitude. Right as opposed to just giving a bunch of lists of things to do. Well, and, and it's, you know, uh, no surprise that Machen was a leading New Testament scholar. Mm-hmm. Everything he's doing, his whole approach here, as you know better than I, his whole approach is exactly what we find in the four Gospels and the epistles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he does camp out, too, on, on Paul within this. I'd love, I'd love to ask you some questions. Related to that, um, one thing I was thinking about was uh, the ways that Machen countered the liberal criticism by saying that Christianity is a way of life, but it's founded upon a message. Yeah. Uh, but it's important that we get the logical order correct. Mm-hmm. Doctrine comes first, he says, then the life lived. Why is that order important? You know, I think every American at least my age and older, uh, remembers that Time magazine cover photo of uh, victory in Europe, Mm -hmm. of the sailor picking up a woman and spinning her and everybody's dancing in the the square. 
people who didn't even know each other, people who were not friends, uh, they they treated each other like long lost uh, relatives. And what what did that? What could have caused these perfect strangers to just weep in love of each other and grab each other and hug each other? What what did that? The announcement that the war was over. Hmm. That's, that's what preaching does. Hmm. It it takes strangers who never would have picked each other as their friends, but God chose them. Mm-hmm. for his children, and so they're my brothers and sisters, and he put us all together and gave us this good news, and now I love them more than I love some of my own family members. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you've spent decades studying, teaching, and writing about doctrine. In your experience, is there credence to this idea that doctrine, properly speaking, is not compatible or is a hindrance to a full experience of the Christian life? False doctrine is, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, Paul says knowledge puffs up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't. He, he clearly wasn't saying the knowledge that he's communicating, the truth that he's communicating. But knowledge is an end in itself. Um, mm. You know, if you want to know more than other people, and there, there are. I, I mean, I've. I've seen it. You've seen it. We've all seen you it. You teach seminary. Yeah, right? We run into it. Um, my te- It's a temptation for me, too, to say, well, I know that. Mm-hmm. I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the question really is, okay, now, if you know that, that's great. That Think of all the people who don't. What a great, what a great gift yeah. you should be grateful for. You know that. Yeah. You know that that your sins are forgiven. You know you're united to Christ. You know you're justified, that you're being sanctified. One day you'll be glorified. He who began a good work will complete it. You know all that. That's wonderful, terrific. But what a, what, what difference does it make? Yeah. Um, not just for you, but for other people. Yeah. And that's where I think, uh, you know, Hindu doctrine is, is, is going to be lived out in a Hindu lifestyle. Muslim doctrine in a Muslim lifestyle. Uh, Christians are going to live in a... Even the doctrine of the Trinity gives to Christianity a different caste, a different way of living even, hmm. a different way of relating to God. And... An analogy with our relationships with other people, one yet three persons uh, in communion together. Uh, it's These doctrines give a different, completely different uh, justification for a, a way of life that is sacrificial love, that is... Uh, Imitating, not repeating, Christ's sacrifice for us, forgiving others even as we are forgiven. There are so many implications of these doctrines that uh, should really give us a lot of pause 
to ponder and consider so that we can actually live in the light of those truths. As seminary professors, Mike and I meet and teach hundreds of students who are eager to know more about God. But as any theology student or faculty member will tell you, an abundance of information doesn't always equal an abundance of faith. I asked Mike about the dangers of pursuing knowledge simply for the satisfaction of being right. Francis de Sales said, uh, um, not that I follow everything Francis de Sales said, but (laughs) this is a really good one. He said, um, there is nothing more dangerous than the constant handling of holy things. And that is so true. There's, there is a danger of just being puffed up. There's a danger in saying, I know all of this. I'm Reformed, or I'm, mm-hmm. I'm uh, uh, a, you know, a staunch conservative. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I know I'm on the right side of things. You're on the wrong side of things. Um, there, there's a, but, but the thing is, that's me. That's not the doctrine. I'm going against what the doctrine is, is pointing me towards, <laughs> a life of love and sacrifice and mm-hmm. humility. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm using it for something else. Ed Clowney, who used to be the president um, of Westminster, Philadelphia, and for many years was professor here, um, he said in class once, I was, uh, it, it just really hit me, he says, um, Calvinists are the only people who can be proud of knowing they're totally depraved. <laughs> and, you know, we could do it with election, too. And yes. Paul, Paul says, as the elect of God, put on a heart of, of humility. Yeah. At, not as the elect of God, stand up above others. But you know, these doctrines really are there to humble us when you read yeah. not many— not many wise, not many noble. Uh, God chose the foolish to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong. He, God came to our playground, and he, he chose the guys who never get picked for the mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. The, the, the things that are not, to shame the things that are, right. which gets that new creational... I'm only in existence because of the gospel. Yes. And that should really put everything into perspective, which is precisely what he does in Romans when he lays out a deep gospel theology, Romans 3.21, especially up until the end of 11, and says, from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And the next thing you get in chapter 12 is don't think too highly of yourself. Yeah, it's right. To, it's meant to, to lead us into this... Uh, Profound worship. humility and worship. Yes, that's the goal, right? Yeah, and then it manifests itself horizontally toward others. Right. Yeah, often we do treat these things, holy things, and we profane them. What do you do, if I could ask on a personal level, what do you do when when holy things become common? Like, is there mm. is there a way that you kind of remind yourself of some key doctrines that then you hope to generate a life that you'd like to see or... Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you know, first of all, I, I, tr- I try, I, I mean, uh, failure, but I try to go back and, you know, I've got this thing of drama, 
doctrine, doxology, discipleship. Hmm. Uh, that the drama, the story that we've been talking about here, true story, this true story um, is for me, the doctrine, and for the world. But now, Jesus comes off the stage into the audience and takes me by the hand. He pulls me on the stage, and he makes me one of the singers in the choir. Now I'm sharing. I'm participating. Hmm. What shall we say in response to all this? All what? Doctrine. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he, he practically doesn't stop singing hmm. until he, he composes himself again. He is just... It doesn't drive him to to pride. It drives him to praise. Hmm. That's what doctrine is supposed to do, especially the doctrines he mentioned, those whom he predestined, he called, those whom he called, he justified, those whom he justified, he glorified. Now what shall we say in response to these things? Hmm. That That is the proper response to lead us to worship, and then that energizes us to go out and be disciples in the world. I try when I'm handling holy things and they, they seem to become common, I try to go back to praying. Uh, for example, the Trinity. Uh, don't just talk about the Trinity. Don't, don't just go back to studying the doctrine of the Trinity, though that's important. Go back all these all the steps. But, but particularly, pray to the Father in the Son by the Spirit. Talk to the triune God. Talk mm-hmm. to the Father through the mediation of the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's that's the Trinity. The Trinity is it, it, it's a it's a doctrine for prayer and worship. The doctrine is there to be understood so that we worship the right God mm-hmm. in in the way He is ordained. Mm, that's helpful. Prayerful praise. Um, Machen is really interesting in this chapter because he focuses on Paul's letters, specifically Philippians and Galatians. Uh, but he he emphasizes Philippians, I think, because liberals love to go there and see Paul not care so much about specifics. You have some people who are preaching Christ from envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, and then you have some who do it from goodwill. But Paul just cares as long as Christ is preached, yeah. that's all that really matters. And he begins to camp out on that difference between Philippians and Galatians to emphasize the importance of doctrine. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what he's doing there and why yeah. he's doing it? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, his point, as I understand it, is not that it doesn't matter at all whether you know what your motives are. His point is, whether people are doing it from good motives or bad motives, Christ is being preached, there's something more important than their motives for doing it. Mm. Um, I, I, I know a lot of people who would say, uh, well, what really matters is your motives, your heart. And Paul is saying, no, that isn't what comes first. There's a, a, a guy I really like. Uh, from the past. I won't mention his name. Uh, He says, uh, what my congregation needs most from me is my my life, my holy life, for me to live a holy life. 
Um, this is the only thing I've read in, in him that I disagree with. Hmm. Paul, Paul is saying the thing that the world needs and every church needs more than anything, even as important as it is, a godly life of its minister is the preaching of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second Helvetic Confession uh, says, the preached word is the word of God, regardless even of whether it's preached by a hypocrite or an unbeliever. Hmm. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I I don't know, my, my pastor walked out on his wife and kids and walked out on Christianity. Uh, what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. I mean, I sat under his ministry all these years, and, well, what it means for you is his ministry, the Holy Spirit used effectively in your life. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, someone will extend the same favor to him. Mm-hmm. But that's not the first thing. The first thing is, is Christ being preached? And I, mm-hmm. I love that, that Paul said, take your eyes off of, of being fruit police, going out and trying to figure out everybody's motive for doing things. Mm-hmm. Just ask the question, is Christ being preached? The doctrine comes before the life. Mm-hmm. Or you don't have the particular life that is shaped by that doctrine. Mm-hmm. Now, what's your perspective on this today, especially on a podcast that is explicitly opposed to teachers that we call liberal? What kind of diversity of opinion, then, should the church tolerate? Mm -hmm. And what should we not tolerate in 2023? Sure. Well, that's why I I love the way Machen shows the the parameters are the creeds because they summarize the the facts. Mm Mm-hmm. And the doctrine that comes out of them, um, that is that is a remarkable consensus. Just think of it: all of the denomination, all of the divides we have. I I can't keep up with the number now. Uh, so many denominations, mm-hmm. and yet the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, Athanasian Creed. You know, these creeds are embraced historically by Christians of every denomination, even Christians who would say, I don't have a creed, no creed but Christ. If you asked them, yeah. do you agree with this? You read, read the creeds and you say, do you agree? I think yeah, they would. If they, mm-hmm. if they don't, that's, that's another problem. But that's, those are the parameters that is the form of sound words. That's the pattern. There's a form. There's a way to say it. There's a pattern of sound words that, by God's grace, uh, that, those patterns have stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. So I think we, we, we say, okay, th- this is the—now, within that, justification by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. We're not just Catholic. We're evangelical. Um. And, and then, you know, as we go into our rooms, we have our own particular distinctive doctrines that we expect people to hold, and that's what—we have confessions and catechisms. And so the, 
our form of subscription to those documents represents uh, not who is a Christian and who's not a Christian, but represents what we mean when we say we're Reformed. Um, so, I mean, that's the, the thing. The, the, the thing is not to confuse the rooms with the hallway. Say, you know, people aren't even in the hallway. People aren't even in the building hmm. uh, unless they uh, are Reformed. Um, or unless they're necessarily they dot every I and cross every T. Look, there are there are people. As as Saint Augustine said, there are sheep without and wolves within the visible church. We we can't say with absolute certainty we know that person is excluded unless they explicitly deny. Uh, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be very careful about now churches have to discern whether that profession of faith is is sound. Uh, but we 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 can't individually as as vigilantes go around and decide who's, you know, who's saved. Churches can't even uh, decide who's regenerate. That is known only to God. Mm-hmm. Can only discern a credible profession of faith. So I think we have to, uh, outside of that, a credible profession of faith, we have to uh, give people Christian liberty to, to disagree on things. And I think Machen, Machen was a liberal. He wanted, he wanted a true liberalism, hmm. a liberalism of spirit, a liberalism that says investigate, explore, uh, really argue and be open to other people's arguments. Hmm. Let's get into it. Let's discuss it. Let's not quarrel, but let's debate these matters because they're too important for us to overlook. But the liberals weren't liberals at all. They were fundamentalists of a different stripe. Yeah. They were, they were, they were, they, they were quote unquote inclusive of anyone and everyone except people who actually believe what those churches once believed not long ago. Hmm. Hmm. And that's what I think really crushed Machen when he lost friends like that, uh, when people really were—the meanness. Hmm. We talk about the meanness of fundamentalists, uh, the meanness of the liberals— Smiling, uh, uh, you know, while they are, uh, while while they're throwing you out of your denomination, hmm. um, that that's that's uh, you know a hypocrisy that he saw in liberalism. It wasn't liberal at all. It's fatally closed-minded. Hmm. As we finished our interview, I asked Mike about Machen's retort to H.G. Wells, the preeminent fantasy author who attempted to lump Jesus in with other religious teachers like Confucius, a trend not uncommon today. Now, how would you encourage listeners who are examining their faith, who are wrestling with some of the issues in this book, how can they deepen their knowledge of their Savior and grow in faith? Pray while you're reading it. Just stop. Just stop at various places. 
like like Paul does. What shall we say then in response to this? And then you you get praise. Uh, it's just you know stop and maybe read a psalm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, come back to to uh, where you left off. Next paragraph. Mm. Pause a little. Just you don't know, rush through it. Um, savor it and relate it to your own Christian life, your own piety, your own relationship with the Lord, your own devotions. Um, I think that, that may be a good way to read Christianity and liberalism. Many thanks to my guest, Dr. Michael Horton. Join me next time for my conversation with pastor and professor Craig Troxell as we discuss Machen's chapter on salvation. This episode of Christianity and Liberalism was brought to you by Westminster Seminary Press. WSP has published a brand new edition of the book this show is based on, Christianity and Liberalism by J. Gressa Machen. This 100th anniversary edition features a new foreword by Kevin DeYoung and is available to order now at wtsbooks.com. Listeners to this podcast can get a free download of the Christianity and Liberalism audiobook at checkout when you enter the promo code MACHEN23. That's M-A-C-H-E-N 23. This podcast was hosted by David Brionis. The episode was produced by Josh Curry and Jimmy Atkins. Audio captured by Rudolph Gallegos. Edited and engineered by Paul Quorum. Our theme song was written by Timothy Brindle and produced by Nobody Special. Thank you for listening. Demonstrate the two completely different religions Liberalism denies man's wicked condition And divine inspiration with which scripture was written Us Christians are convinced scripture's truly factual But liberalism denies the supernatural Matron's book definitely showed Christianity and liberalism are diametrically opposed It's not a different version of Christianity It has opposite views of God and humanity Often disguised with Christian terminology They baptize the serpents absurd philosophy. So when we call you a liberal, it's not just political, but rejecting his virgin birth and all of his miracles from trusting in science. But against God, it's disgusting to find itself is your trust and reliance. The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is God and he's man. Upon the rock of the word of God, we will stand. We bring the antithesis, the lamb's dripping wrists is still the only answer for man's wickedness. The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is God and he's man. Upon the rock of the word of God, we will stand. CNL with Machen, we will tell. Faith in Christ still the only way to be redeemed from hell. Machen press men, to be honest, don't call it Christian if it essentially is godless. Christianity's based on events God accomplished. Christ was sent to bring redemption, he promised. Not just an ethical leader, respectable teacher, but God in the flesh. Yes, our blessed redeemer, an affront to human pride. You can only be saved by faith in Christ who was crucified. Amen. Our greatest needs to be redeemed by the Son. It's not what we're Jesus do but what Jesus has done since we're slaves to doubt pride and lust we're in desperate need of rescue that's outside of us an understatement to say that we're flawed in need of what Machen called a creative act of God because we're torn by sin we've been abhorring him not just sick but dead we must be born again God
God's enemies, his arrogant opponents Who can only be saved by vicarious atonement Judgment fell on Christ in my place Unrighteous, guilty sinners are only righteous by grace Scriptures, historical acts, they are certain Jesus, the God-man, the supernatural person We need new hearts, he's the compassionate surgeon By his death and resurrection, he's smashing the serpent The line is drawn in the sand Christ is God and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God we will stand We bring the antithesis The lamb's dripping wrists Is still the only answer for man's wickedness The line is drawn in the sand Christ is God and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God we will stand CNL with Machen we will tell Faith in Christ still the only way to be redeemed from hell My intention is to show when I'll mention in this flow Machen's words are as useful as a century ago Liberalism breeds destruction It's hopeless Today it's Deconstruction and wokeness Rooted in paganism, atheism Like Satan's mission to make CRT state religion These abominations we see to this day In denominations like the PC USA Why embrace Machen's great wisdom In light of the claims of his racism In 1913 Machen wrote mom complaining Angry about Princeton's campus integration I can't believe the decision of Warfield But this cancer of heart I'm sure the Lord healed See Warfield be Became Machen's mentor, an instrument for Machen to repent more. Showing his need of the Savior to change him, but consider the Lord's grace of sanctification. Machen became friends with an African American named Charlie Machen, gladly had cherished him. As a matter of fact, Charlie had a cataract. Skin color didn't matter as Machen had his back. Paid for the operation, stayed with him in the hospital. Christ changing Machen, not an impossible obstacle. From his love for his friend Charlie, it's quite clear Christ was changing Machen. Partly. Any bigotry left, it's not there any longer Perfected now in the presence of his father The line is drawn in the sand Christ is God and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God we will stand We bring the antithesis The lamb's dripping wrists Is still the only answer for man's wickedness The line is drawn in the sand Christ is God and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God we will stand CNL with Machen we will tell Faith in Christ still the only way to be redeemed from hell